Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine with your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hi, I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022, and the end of week 36 of the Russia-Ukraine war. It's been 3,171 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 252 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure would continue across Ukraine was correct, with dozens of drones attempting to strike targets across Ukraine. Second, we maintain that the Kremlin's announcement that they withdrew from the Ukrainian grain shipment agreement after the drone attack on the Black Sea fleet backfired spectacularly, with Moscow now trying to find a path back to controlling shipments without looking weak. Third, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Fourth, we maintain that although the weather has improved in central and western Ukraine, and it is unseasonably warm in places, Rasputitsa will continue to slow down combat operations for both belligerents. Fifth, we maintain that Russia's baseless accusation that Ukraine is preparing to use an improvised nuclear weapon as part of a broader disinformation campaign is already fading from the news cycle, and in the social media information space. Sixth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat-destroyed and is incapable of mounting offensive operations larger than a company. Eighth, we maintain that the mobilization of 300,000 troops has not improved Russian combat strength and exposed the training, logistical, and supply problems within the Russian Federation. On top of that, the new Mobics are suffering from catastrophic losses. Ninth, we maintain that Russian forces in Belarus remain a credible threat, and that an invasion of western Ukraine is possible in the next 35 to 65 days. Tenth, 
We maintain our assessment that Russian forces are engaged in a withdrawal from Kherson, which will likely continue over the next four to eight weeks. And finally, we assess Russia's threat to use tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield as creeping back to a remote possibility due to renewed irresponsible language from the Kremlin. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that Ukrainian and Russian reconnaissance groups fought in, quote, the area of Dudchane with no change in the line of conflict. It is the first time the Ukrainian armed forces have provided information on fighting west of the Dnipro in over a week. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported there was positional fighting, quote, in the direction of Milova, which aligns with the report from OCS. Russian sources also reported positional fighting near Kostromka, Borosenske, and Sukhanova. The Russian MOD reported fighting in the area of Chervoni Yar both on October 30th and 31st, and based on the third report from yesterday, we've made our first change to the line of conflict in Kherson since October 16th. We moved the line of conflict further south to a tree line north of Sukhanova and through a forested river basin to the east of the village. The Russian MOD also reported positional fighting near Zeleny High for the second day in a row. Advances toward Zeleny High have consistently come from Ternovipodi, raising questions about whether Ukraine has taken control of the hamlet to the north. We maintain this area is a no-man's land and did not adjust the map. OCS reported eight airstrikes focusing on suppress and destroy enemy air defenses and targeting Russian troop concentrations. Ground forces executed 160 fire missions. Social media reports claimed rockets fired by HIMARS hit a Russian troop and equipment concentration in Kozatsky, a staging point for crossing the temporary bridge at the Novokakhovka Dam. The staging area for barge crossings of the Dnipro near the Antonovsky Bridge was also struck by rockets fired by HIMARS. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, confirmed that on October 29th, a Russian Pantsir S-1 anti-aircraft system was destroyed, and 10 pieces of other military hardware were damaged in Muzikivka. The looting of Kherson continued, with reports that Russian troops were stealing the exhibits and artifacts from the Kherson Art Museum. The cranes that Russian occupiers stole from the Kherson River port were spotted in Holopristan, along with other industrial and civil infrastructure equipment removed from the city over the last two weeks. After Russian-appointed Gauleiter of occupied Kherson, Vladimir Saldo, announced a 15-kilometer evacuation corridor along the entire east bank of the Dnipro River, forced evacuation started in Velika Lepetikha. Civilians are being put on buses and are not permitted to drive themselves or take more than a suitcase of belongings. Saldo announced that the evacuation area was being expanded further and would include the Kohovsky district. Vitali Kim, Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, released a video suggesting the forced deportations were meant to create a militarized zone for Russian occupiers and their families to live. Kim said that Russian occupiers were spreading a rumor that Ukraine would shell Kherson and parts of the east bank of the Dnipro from November 4th to 6th, and that is why the evacuations are happening. 
There are, however, multiple reports of Russian soldiers moving into abandoned apartments and homes within hours of the forced deportations. Some assessment here. We maintain that it is highly unlikely that Russian troops will blow up the Novokhovka Dam as they rely on it as the only stable river crossing, from an engineering perspective, that they can maintain over the Dnipro. With the city of Kherson being dismantled, the evacuation efforts appear to be disingenuous. Instead, they are intended to filter the population, crush the insurgency, and replace the indigenous population with people loyal to Russia. We further maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is obsessed with the idea that Ukraine will launch a mass amphibious assault across the Dnipro River into eastern Kherson and Zaporizhia. They probably have posters of Ukrainian amphibious assault hung up over their bed with kissy faces on it. Probably. In a further sign that Russian leaders have waning confidence in their ability to hold the city of Kherson in the moderate to long term, the administrative center of the Russian-occupied oblast was moved to Skadovsk on the Black Sea coast, 55 kilometers west of the Crimean Peninsula. Some assessment here. There continue to be significant mixed signals on Russia's intent on how or if they will defend the west bank of the Dnipro or eventually withdraw. It still appears that Russian forces are preparing to move from positions in northern Kherson while building defenses around the city of Kherson. Don't worry, I did not forget about Mykolaiv. It was just really quiet there yesterday. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was unchanged. There was no update on the status of a kidnapped Enerhoatom employee being held by Russian forces after Rafael Grossi, director general of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, made a second appeal for their safe release on October 31st. The Russian MOD accused Ukraine of shelling Enerhodar and the, quote, territory adjacent to the plant, end quote. The IAEA, however, did not release a statement verifying the report. The main intelligence directorate of the Defense Ministry of Ukraine, or GUR, reported that the Chechen troops had been rotated into an Erkhodar and patrolled the streets. Nikopol and Chervonokhriorivka were struck by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. The missiles can be used to attack ground targets, but are relatively inaccurate and produce more moderate damage over a wider area because they are armed with a fragmentation warhead. There were no reports of significant damage or injuries. The GSAFU reported that Nikopol was hit by rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, as well, but there were still no reports of significant damage or injuries. Ukrainian air defense shot down six out of six Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones over the Dnipropetrovsk oblast. At the time of recording, there were reports of explosions in Dnipro, but there wasn't any clarity on if the blasts were from air defenses or an attack. There was sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv to Stepova. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. A quick errors and omissions. Yesterday, we reported that rockets fired by HIMARS struck the Akhtamar Hotel in Mariupol and that the location was a barracks for Chechen troops. 
The hotel is actually located in Volnovakha, north of Mariupol. We thank you for your understanding as we cut through the fog of war. Southwest of Donetsk, Russian forces continued their offensive operations in the Vulidar area with significant fighting from Novomayorsk to Mikilsky. The Ukrainian forces repelled a Russian advance on Prechistivka, while the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in Novomayorsk were shelled. Russian forces have pushed into the southeast corner of Pavlivka, while Ukrainian forces continue to hold defensive positions along the Kashlehach River. Russian propagandists at Ridovka likely reported accurately that Russian troops had entered Pavlivka earlier in the day, and Wargonzo reported later on November 1st that Russian troops had been pushed back. The Russian attacks are mostly light infantry formed of Mobix with artillery support, suffering near-catastrophic losses. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed significant thermal anomalies in Zelenie High that indicate Russian positions were hit by rockets, a large artillery strike, or that an ammunition depot was destroyed. Fighting on the eastern edge of Novobakhmutivka continued, with no change in the situation. Ukrainian sources claimed elements of the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, reportedly advanced into the residential areas of eastern Marinka. Interestingly, there were no reports of an advance from reliable Russian sources. We updated the map and expanded the gray area to the center of Marinka. Intense fighting occurred on the edge of the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky. A video from the People's Militia of the DNR showed Russian-backed proxy forces taking Ukrainian troops prisoner after capturing a series of defensive trenches south of the village. DNR troops continued their attempts to advance into Pervomaiske and continued to be unsuccessful. Further north, Ukrainian forces continued to hold defensive lines in Vodyana, with the first Slavic group of the DNR shelling Ukrainian positions. The People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Channel claimed their forces destroyed four main battle tanks, or MBTs, an S-300 anti-aircraft launcher, and five, quote, armored and automotive vehicles, per usual without supporting evidence of any kind. Some assessment here. Several readers and listeners have questioned the veracity of the DNR reports, particularly the number of tanks destroyed. So we compared and contrasted it with today's Russian MOD report, which is consistently optimistic, and the MOD reported four tanks destroyed across all of Ukraine, none in Donetsk. See, this is why we mentioned that there was no evidence when things like supporting pictures or videos are not provided. Ukrainian forces completed 158 fire missions in the occupied territories. Pavlo Kirilenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported Avdivka was heavily shelled in the morning, while electrical infrastructure was damaged in Ocheretine. In northeast Donetsk, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting on the eastern outskirts of Solidar and Bakhmut, with no change in the situation. Battlefield conditions east of Bakhmut resemble trench warfare from World War I, with denuded trees and barren fields of mud. Ukrainian soldiers and mercenaries with PMZ Wagner stand in ankle-deep mud, armed mostly with light weapons. Drone video showed Yakovlivka being shelled with thermite, causing multiple fires. Quick editor's note here. Thermite is frequently confused with white phosphorus. 
White phosphorus burns with an orange hue and a lot of smoke while descending rapidly. Thermite burns white, produces less smoke, and falls slowly like fireworks. Quick assessment here. PMC Wagner Group is likely attempting to bypass Solidar from the north, which is why they've renewed attacks on Yakovlivka. After an extended break, fighting erupted again in Mayorsk, with Russian forces remaining unsuccessful. I have nothing to say about Semyon Pegov's toes. Fighting continued on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border near Spirna. The MI-8 helicopter shot down on October 31st was owned by PMC Wagner and acquired from the Russian military. Video from the crash site has been used to attribute the helicopter to Belarus. The area painted over is where the Russian military registration number would have been located, not the Belarusian livery. There are reports the helicopter was carrying officers and leaders of the private military company, and with the confirmation that it belonged to Wagner Group, those reports have added weight. The video recorded at the crash site did not show any corpses. The Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, at the Verknokomyanka oil refinery responded to the growing threat of encirclement by Ukrainian forces and attempted to advance on Verknokomyanskia without success. Ukraine has established significant defenses and maintains firebases on the ridges overlooking the oil refinery and the open fields to the west. All attempts to capture the town have failed since early July. Kramatorsk was hit by up to a dozen S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack overnight, with the missiles landing in the industrial zone. The city was once a major objective for the Russian military, and over 80% of the city's population evacuated in April as Russia started to advance from Izum. In Luhansk, fighting continued along the entire line of conflict from the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border to Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with only minor changes to the positions of each belligerent. Both Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that Russian troops advanced on Makivka and Nevsky and had limited success. We adjusted the map based on the reports. Ukrainian forces made small gains on the outskirts of Chervonopopivka. NASA firms data confirm Russian reports of fighting and artillery strikes on Ukrainian positions. Attacks on Ukrainian positions in Bilohorivka, again the one in Luhansk, continued without a change in the situation. Russian mill blogger Rybar's report of a rocket attack by HIMARS on Pervomaisk was accurate. Pictures emerged of the previously abandoned Mainzinsky Hospital, which was badly damaged by the strike. Russian forces continued to shell Torske and Zarichne, with the mill blogger community anticipating a bigger offensive to start the encirclement of Svatov and Kremina in two separate efforts. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported almost 100 shells, mortars, and grad rockets struck the Hromadas of Shalahin, Velika Pisarivka, Yunakivka, Nova Sloboda, Khluhiv, and Miropilia. A car was damaged in Velika Pisarivka, power was knocked out in Yunakivka, 
and a person was injured in Nova Sloboda when a mortar shell hit their house. In the Kyiv region, the Ukrainian air defense shot down six of six Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones overnight. There were no reports of damage or casualties. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, air defenses shot down three KH-59 air-to-surface cruise missiles near Odessa. The missiles were fired from an Su-30 multi-role fighter, with all three munitions destroyed over the Black Sea. Naval analysts noted that no missile carriers from the Russian Black Sea fleet were deployed today. The amount of damage caused by Ukraine's October 29th drone strikes remains unclear, with Russian officials maintaining unusually tight operational security. Such a bummer. In western and central Ukraine, 10 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were initially spotted near Kreminchuk, with air defenses shooting down six. Four of the drones crashed into, quote, civilian infrastructure in Poltava. In the Cherkasy Oblast, air defenses shot down two kamikaze drones with a report that one hit, quote, an infrastructure target. At the time of recording, it was unclear if there was a third drone or if the debris from one being shot down struck a critical civilian asset. On the Russian front, the GUR claimed responsibility for destroying three Russian Ka-52 alligator attack helicopters at Piskov Air Base in Russia on October 31st, hundreds of kilometers from the Ukrainian border. Ukrainian saboteurs were able to enter the airbase, rig three rotorcraft with explosives, and leave undetected. Base security at Piskov found the unexploded device and was able to disarm it. Time for some assessment, okay? Before you dismiss this claim as pure fantasy and blame the British, NATO, or biolab-engineered highly intelligent earthworms, consider this. Local thieves infiltrated a Russian airbase in late 2019, boarded an Aleutian IL-80 doomsday plane, and stole the secured radio equipment out of it for the value of the gold in the circuit boards. The theft wasn't even detected for almost two months, and was widely reported in Russian state media. This would be the equivalent to someone entering a United States Air Force base undetected, boarding an E-48 doomsday plane, and stealing equipment from it. Now, before you write an email about the snark, even PMC Wagner Group's telegram channel Grey Zone mocked the repeated claims by the Russian MOD that anything bad that happens to Russian military assets gets blamed on the British, writing, quote, Probably they, Kremlin officials, will say that the British planned it. Who else? End quote. Quick sidebar here. Just to be clear, we are not aware of any biolab-engineered highly intelligent earthworms. Okay? The Russian village of Kosinska in the Bilgorod Oblast was shelled. There weren't any reports of casualties. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Turkey and the United Nations announced that they temporarily suspended Ukrainian shipments on November 2nd and later confirmed they would resume on Thursday. The pause was not related to security concerns or Russian protests, but issues with, quote, fumigated cargo. On Tuesday, three more vessels left Odessa without Russian interference, sailing to ports in Germany, Libya, and Morocco. 
The Kremlin repeated false claims that most grain, meal, and vegetable oils shipped from Ukraine have gone to wealthy nations. The United Nations confirmed that eight ships would deport from Ukrainian ports in convoy on Thursday. On Monday, 14 vessels left Odessa under escort by Turkey, and two bulk carriers sailed into port. It has once again been zero days since Russia threatened nuclear war. Apparently, forgetting about last week's dirty bomb claims, Dmitry Medvedev, the deputy chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, said, quote, The well-known thesis of Western countries is, Russia cannot be allowed to win the war. But what does this really mean? Follow simple, formal logic. If Russia does not win, then obviously Ukraine will. Ukraine's goal in the war has been stated by the Kyiv regime— to take back all the territories that previously belonged to it, that is, to tear them away from Russia. This is a threat to the existence of our state, and that means it is a direct reason for the application of Clause 19 of the basic principles of the state policy of the Russian Federation on nuclear deterrence. End quote. That's a lot of fancy words for don't make us nuke you. Okay, assessment here. This language is unrealistic and is meant to drive a wedge among Western governments and manipulate American voters to gravitate to far-left and far-right candidates from both parties who are advocating ending all military and economic aid to Ukraine. Russia isn't even talking about dirty bombs anymore, has renewed rhetoric that Ukraine is trying to cause a meltdown at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and prattling on about secret British bases in Mykolaiv used to attack the Black Sea fleet through Odessa. What does it mean? Medvedev asked. I'll tell you what it means. It means you're a scared bully, because Russian government officials have threatened to use nuclear weapons more times since February 22nd than the entire time North Korea has had nuclear weapons, through two glorious leaders with questionable haircuts. We're over it, and you should be too. When it's time to dig your backyard bunker, trust us, we'll tell you from our own backyard bunker. There are unconfirmed reports that Iran is preparing to arm Russia with short- and medium-range ballistic missiles to replace depleted stockpiles of Russian Iskander-M SRBMs, which are believed to have been consumed to the point that Russia was forced to tap into its strategic reserve. At least one Western intelligence agency has observed activity that shows that the missiles, with a range of up to 700 kilometers, are being prepared for shipment. While Ukraine's air defense umbrellas are improving, it has nothing capable of consistently intercepting ballistic missiles in its arsenal. Ooh, I just got a message from David. Okay, breaking news. Um, According to Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan, Russia is rejoining the grain trading deal. <laughs> oh, LOL. Speaking of limited capability, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Addressing leaders of the Krasnodar territory, Russian President Vladimir Putin reminded them that they are obligated to support Russian soldiers and their families deployed from their region by paying them as promised. A somewhat frustrated Putin added that badgering the Russian federal districts to pay their troops, quote, should not turn into a routine, end quote. PMC Wagner Group financier and leader Yevgeny Prigozhin 
continued his pressure on the Kremlin while building his public image. He blasted, quote, Russian elites and his fellow oligarchs for complaining about Kremlin support of Wagner and Russia's widespread use of mercenaries while appealing to the average Russian. Prigozhin, responding to critics, said, quote, because Mother Russia is fighting tens of thousands of those same mercenaries. As soon as tens of thousands of my critics go and take their guns, I myself will handcuff them in myself. Any comments? No? Feel pissed on? Then shut your mouth. Dozens of my guys die every day because the critters who are unhappy with the mercenaries sit with pink asses on warm sofas and rant in front of the TV. Let's go, daredevils. Take your guns and kill. End quote. Well, that is certainly a mood. And also, for realsies, a direct quote. I made up none of that. Okay, assessment time here. Two things come to mind. Although he blasts Russian keyboard warriors, the troll farm networks he operates, under the guise of marketing firms, trained some of those keyboard warriors. The second thing is this comment, quote, Dozens of my guys die every day. End quote. Dozens would mean more than 25 Wagnerites are being killed in action a day. Using the lowest possible number would indicate another 75 are being wounded in action every day. Prigozhin unintentionally revealed that, conservatively, PMC Wagner is currently suffering 3,000 casualties a month. Minimum. Keep in mind, that number is not included in official figures for casualties released by the Kremlin or Russian state media. All is going to plan. There were no significant developments in the area of war crimes and human rights, so moving right along to geopolitical news. The Moldovan government declared a Russian embassy employee persona non grata on Monday after summoning the Russian ambassador to Kisinau and telling him the employee must leave Moldova. The ejection was unrelated to the Russian missile shot down in Ukrainian airspace that crashed in Moldova. Russia targeted a dam in widespread missile attacks on Monday close to the Moldovan-Ukrainian border that, if destroyed, would have caused catastrophic flooding to both countries. The Moldovan foreign ministry said the Russian ambassador was told that, quote, missile attacks on a neighboring country continue to increase security risks, and the citizens of our country increasingly feel the devastating consequences of the war, end quote. Kisinau has experienced what is widely believed to be manufactured protests backed by the Russian FSB for two months, calling for the resignation of President Maya Sandu. Israel held its fifth round of elections in four years, with the Likud party projected to pick up 61 or 62 seats in the Knesset, Israel's parliament. If the victory holds, it will pave the way for Benjamin Netanyahu to return as prime minister of Israel. In a quote to the BBC, political scientist Gael Talshir from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem warned that if the exit polls, quote, reflect the real results, Israel is on its way to becoming Orban's Hungary, end quote. It is unclear how Netanyahu would respond to ongoing calls for additional support for Ukraine. While he had a closer relationship with the Kremlin, issues in Syria and a rapidly rising Iran which Russia supports, 
will be seen as threats to Israeli sovereignty and security. In economic news, the ruble declined with an exchange rate of 62 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices were unchanged, with WTI holding at $88 a barrel and Brent remaining at $94. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market climbed to $2.59 a gallon, or $0.69 a litre. EU-Dutch TTF natural gas futures were volatile, climbing almost 7% to €123 per megawatt-hour for December 2022 contracts. January contracts were trading at €130, spiking 5%. Chicago SRW wheat futures swung wildly, rising as high as $9.19 a bushel for December 2022 delivery over concerns that Turkey and the United Nations would stop Ukrainian grain shipments. Prices plunged as low as $8.66 a bushel on updated news that shipments would continue, then rose to $8.72. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.